So uh, Genesis chapter 3, you guys remember last week we covered the, the creation of heaven and earth, the creation of, of, of all living creatures on the earth, the creation of all living creatures in the sea, the creation of the, of the stars and the moon and the planets, and then the creation of man. And if you recall, we studied how, how, uh, how man is different from all of the creation because man is, 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 the only, is the only one of God's creation in whom God himself breathed life into. And, and, and us, you know, we're different from all creation because the Bible says that, that, that God made us in, in his own image. Amen. You know, there, there as God made man, you know, he, the Trinity talking with each other, they said, uh, let us make man in our image. So we see the Trinity, they're having a, a conversation you know, and just saying, let us make man in our image. And then we looked at the creation of woman for man. And, and we, we studied how, how the Lord saw Adam's need. How the Lord made Adam aware of his need, of his own need. And then once Adam was aware of his need, how the Lord caused Adam to rest in God. And as he rested in God, the Lord created woman from Adam. And now we get into this. This chapter here, chapter three, and, and we'll see the, the the beginning of sin. And and as we, we as we mentioned last week, that the book of Genesis, so the word Genesis means origins. So the whole book is just a book of origins, the beginning of beginning of creation, beginning of man, beginning of sin, beginning of families, beginning of of just uh, of, of everything. You know, so we see that the, the, it's a book of origins. And right now we're going to see the the origin of sin, how sin was introduced into the world. So here we are in Genesis chapter three, the 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 fall of man. Verses 1 to 3 say this. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to, to, this, to this person here, this character here in, in the very first verse, the serpent. So we, we know that, that it was an actual serpent. The Bible tells us that, 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 that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So it was an actual serpent. You know, there's a lot of Bible teachers out there, so-called Bible teachers, who will teach that this is more of like a, an imagery, you know, and this, is, this, is an, an, this isn't an actual account because they can fathom how a serpent will, will speak to, to Eve and they, they can't fathom the, the fact that, that, that a serpent was talking to, 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 to Adam and Eve there you know, and, they, and they say that this is just kind of like a you know, uh, kind of like a poetry book or, or they say that, that that's, that's, that's not an actual account but it is so we see that we're introduced to the serpent here and so we know that Satan that Satan is a fallen angel so between the creation of of heaven and earth and the creation of all things in this chapter, we see that, that Satan had already fallen. The book of Isaiah says that, that, when, that when Satan fell, they took, they took a third of the angels with them. You know, and he, he deceived a third of the angels in heaven. And, and that's heavy because, you know, these, these angels are in the presence of God. And yet Satan was able to defeat, to, to deceive them. You know, he, he tricked them into thinking that they were going to start rebelling against God and, and overthrow God's kingdom and overthrow the throne and that Satan was going to sit on the throne. So from, from the creation of all things up until here, chapter 3, Satan had already fallen. And so we know that Satan, he's a fallen angel. And we know that he, that he uh, inhabited the body of the serpent. So notice is that the serpent was more cunning than all the creatures that the Lord God had made. So we see that, that, that Satan had inhabited 
you know, this, the, this serpent. And we see that the serpent was more cunning than any beast that the Lord God had made. Now this word cunning means subtle. I mean subtle, it means sly, crafty, slick, you know, shrewd. So we see that, that, that the serpent in and of himself, he had his own identity. And then it says that, that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field that God had made. Now it's interesting to note that a couple of chapters before, you know, as we see that, that the Lord God is, is creating all things. And we see that after he created all things, he said, and it was good. You know, he created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. He created the moon and the stars, and it was good. He created the earth and the, and the, and, and the land and the sea, and it was good. And then he created every single creature, and God said, it is good. So we see that Satan deceived Eve by using the body of this creature with which God had called good. Now that's heavy right there. That's heavy because what Satan did, did is that he, he took a, one of God's creatures, which God had proclaimed as good, as perfect. The Hebrew word is tov, as God has, had, had declared as tov, perfect, good. And Satan took this creature, he inhabited it, he corrupted it, he defiled it, and he used it for his own selfish ambitions. So Satan deceived Eve by using this body, this creature which God had called good. Now 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, Paul talking about these uh, false apostles which had crept into the church and, and had started deceiving a lot of believers. There in 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, so Paul starts talking about these false apostles, these deceitful workers. You know, so there are these wannabe apostles and, and, and Paul is warning the church there at Corinth. You know, and he says, no wonder since Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. He says, so his ministers also transformed themselves into ministers of righteousness. So he's warning the, the, the church of that quarantine. He's, he's saying, hey, if, if Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, then it's no wonder that his ministers can also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Talking about these false teachers, about these false apostles. Well, these, these, these guys who had crept into the church teaching something contrary to, to the doctrine of which, which Paul was teaching, that doctrine of Christ. So we, we know from Scripture that, that Satan is able to transform himself into, into various things. We see that, that, that there in, in one of the gospel accounts where, where Jesus meets, meets this, this demon-possessed man. You know, and he tells him, identify yourself. What's your name? And he says, we are Legion. He says, my name is Legion. And Legion pretty much means an army of many. You know, it says, we're legion for we're many. And then as, as, as the Lord rebukes him, you know, he, he, the legion, the, the demons, they ask to be thrown into, into, into a herd of swine. So, and, and the, Lord, the Lord allowed it, you know, so we see that these demons were, were thrown into a herd of swine. So we see that, that demons, we see that Satan can inhabit uh, people. You know, we, we know of demon-possessed people. We, we know of satanically-possessed people. And we know that, 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 that Satan and his demons can actually inhabit uh, creatures as well. And so it's, it's, it's likely that, that, that Satan, what happened here is that he took the serpent. You know, he inhabited the body of the serpent and he used the serpent to come against Eve. You know, so it, the serpent would have been a creature that, 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 they were, that they were familiar with. I mean, in the chapter before, Adam, Adam took his time to name every single one of the creatures. So he was fond with them. You know, he, he, he knew them very well. You know, again, this creature, this, this serpent was, was, was a creature that God had created and he had called good. Now, so now Satan takes this creature which God, God called good and he corrupts him. You know, he uses it for own, his own selfish ambitions. And we see that Satan has no boundaries. I mean, that, that's just like the devil to, 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 you know, to not be a respecter of, 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 of persons, to not be a respecter of property, to not be a respecter of anything. 
You know, he doesn't, he, he doesn't respect God. He doesn't respect what, what God has called as good. You know, he plays dirty. Pretty much, he plays dirty. You know, he has no boundaries. He'll take something that God created and blessed and corrupted for evil. And we see that still going on today. You know, that, that Satan takes things which God had created for good and he corrupts them for evil. I mean, look, we see the, the, the excessive abuse of, of things like marijuana. You know, which a lot of people say, oh, well, God created it, it's good. But yeah, but Satan has corrupted it. You know, and plus, I mean, what we have now isn't, isn't what got formed in the garden. You know, it's, it's been altered chemically and, and scientifically it's been altered. It's not what God had created. But yeah, you know, like you talk to a lot of people and they say, oh, what about weed? You know, I can smoke weed. And, you know, it's, God created it, it's good. But we just see there's another one of Satan's tactics where he takes something that God created it and he corrupts it for evil. Another thing, sex. I mean, Sex is something that, that God had created, that God created, you know, and, and, and it's something that, they, that he created for, for husband and wife to enjoy, you know, and it's something that, 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 uh, that, a, that a married couple could actually give back to the Lord as worship, you know, and yeah, we see that in a society that, that we live in today, it's been so corrupted, you know, where Satan just took this thing, you know, that, that God created for good, you know, this, this intimacy between a man and a woman, and he's completely corrupted, he's completely twisted it up, where now it's being used between a man and a man and a woman and a woman and a man and a woman and a woman and all kinds of crazy things, a man and an animal and, and, and now even between a man and a woman outside of, of, the, of the covenant of marriage. So something that, that, that God created, God had blessed and God called good. Something that, that, God, that God intended for, for, uh, for it to be a blessing for, for a married couple and, and Satan has used it and corrupted it. You know, now he uses it for evil. So we see that this is just what Satan's doing right here in the garden. You know that he, he took something that God created, God had blessed, God had called good. Now he's using it for his own selfish and, and perverse ambitions. Now it says right there, in, right there at the end of verse one, it says, "And he said to the woman, so the serpent." Now Satan using the serpent, he's talking to to Eve. He says, "And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" So we see that his first attack, his first attack on humanity, he says, has God indeed said. So this is Satan's opening move on mankind. You know, I read this and, and I think of a chess game, you know, where, where oftentimes your first move is your most important move because your first move is going to determine the, the rest of the game. So we think, we see, man, that, that, that Satan, he's had already been fallen, you know, and now he's just studying humankind and he's thinking, all right, I'm going to come at him with full force. He's going to use his strongest attack to deceive humanity. You know, he's pretty much only has one shot at this. And, and, and what does Satan use? You know, he uses the, the, the doubting of God's word, the questioning of God's word. His first attack on all humanity, on perfect humanity. He says, has God indeed said? So no doubt he had been planning, scheming about his first attack. It had to be a strong attack, something that would have a deep impact. And he attacks God's word. Did God indeed say? So did God really say that you can't eat of the tree of the, of the, that's in the garden? Did God really say this attack has been going on ever since? You know, God's word has been attacked ever since, ever since the fall. Ever since Satan came in and said, has God really said? We see that ever since then, God's word has been attacked left and right. I mean, so many skeptics of God's word. So many man, documentaries on the History Channel of, you know, the the hey, the lost secrets of 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 the of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and hey, man, who really wrote the Bible, and all that kinds of, you know, false false claims against the Bible, all, all kinds of, of false accusations about the Bible, all kinds of or just attacks on the Bible, you know, on God's word, and we see that this is an attack that's been going on ever since this moment right here, 
Because we see that obviously it was effective. It was effective, it was effective enough to cause Adam and Eve to rebel against God. You know, and Satan, he's going to use the same tricks. You know, if they're, if they're, if they're, if they're working, if something works, you know, then, then there's no need in fixing it. If something's working fine, then there's no need of changing it. His first attack was on God's word. And it keeps, it's still working today. You know, and, and to continue to attack on God's word. So he goes up to the woman and he says, Has God indeed say, did God really say? And we see that if Satan can get us to, to doubt God's word, if Satan can get us to, to doubt our faith in God, if Satan can get us to doubt our trust in the Lord, you know, then he's pretty much already got a foothold on us. If you could get us to doubt, hey, is, I know the Bible says this, but is that what it really means? Does God really mean this? I know the Bible says that, you know, that, that, that sin separates us from God, but do you really think God won't want you to enjoy this, this thing? You know, and, and that Satan's attack, man, is, is on God's word. And he's going to continue to attack God's word in our own personal lives. Because it's God's word that, that, draws, that draws us closer to the, to the Lord. It's God's word that allows us to know who God is. It's God's word that washes us, that cleanses us, that renews us. So Satan's going to attack it. If you can't get rid of it, he's going to, you know, twist it up. Whether now we read something, you know, and now you have all these false teachers who are, who are, who are pretty much putting their own interpretation to God's word and making it say what they want it to say. Instead of just God's pure word. So Satan's going to attack God's word. He's been doing it ever since the beginning. So he says, did God really say? And notice Eve's response. He says, and the woman said to the serpent. Now, I think this is interesting because, first of all, you know, the serpent goes up to Eve. And he says, did God really say? And notice there in verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent. First of all, you know. You're talking, you're, you're, you're a serpent, you're talking. You know, and then second of all, he said that we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. You know, so we, it's, it's interesting to note that, that, that Eve wasn't surprised by the serpent talking to her. You know, that's one, one thing that stands out to me is that, is that you know, it, it wasn't foreign to her. You know, she, she didn't get freaked out. I'm like, oh, you're talking to me, first of all. And second of all, God did say that we, that, that we can't eat of it and we can't touch it. She didn't say anything about that. We see that she wasn't, she wasn't startled at all by, by the serpent talking to her. Now, many commentators believe, you know, it's just a theory, but it's a, I think it's a pretty good theory. You know, most commentators believe that, that before the fall, that, that humans were able to communicate with animals. And now, it's, it's, not too, it's not too crazy to believe. I mean, we have our, our animals nowadays, you know, we see, we see our dogs, you know, and it's just, I think it's something crazy how, how, you know, you can tell them, sit, roll over. Go get this. You call them by their name and they listen. They're able to understand. Not fully, but they're able to understand, right? And we know that. Well, science tells us that every single creature here on earth has some form of communicating with each other. There's, this, there's these, these, uh, this whole series of films that, 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 that Moody Institute made. You know, and one of them, we saw one, Liz and I, about bees. And it's this whole like, little mini documentary on bees and, and how just and how they communicate to each other and how they have their own little world, you know, but how they're able to communicate through various signs and signals and different buzzing noises. And we see something so small with, I mean, with a tiny little puny brain has the ability to communicate with each other. I mean, we see that, that every single, I mean, even the, the smallest insect has the, has the ability to communicate. And we see that even, again, again, we could talk to our dogs, we could talk to our cats, we could, we could you know, we have birds, we have, you know, you, you could train birds. So, like, there, there's some kind of communication there you know, between humans and animals. It's not, 
it's not you know intact but a lot of commentators believe that that before the fall that that humans and animals were actually able to communicate with each other you know i mean i could imagine adam hey you come over here all right your name is boom gorilla hey you come over here all right your name is go hey you come over here your name is boom, whatever you know, and, and, and we see that, that, that Eve wasn't, wasn't surprised by the serpent coming up and talking to her. Maybe, maybe she had talked to the serpent, you know, many times before this. Yeah, she's walking down the garden. She sees the serpent. Hey, serpent, how are you doing today? And she's walking down the garden. And she talks to another. Hey, how are you doing today? You know, so it's, it's not a crazy, it's not, I don't think it's a crazy theory. I don't think it's a crazy, it's a crazy idea. You know, definitely we see that she wasn't surprised by it. So no doubt she had already maybe had some type of contact with the serpent. Maybe it was just normal to her. And maybe that's why Satan came up to her, you know, and, and, and maybe she was very fond of the serpent. You know, maybe it was her favorite animal. Maybe he, he, he took advantage of, this, of, of, the, of the serpent because she knew that, he knew that, that, that he was very fond of this animal. And we see that that's just like Satan, you know, where sometimes he uses the things that are closest to us to deceive us, you know, to, to come against us. Sometimes it's our own family. Sometimes it's, it's things that, 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 that we enjoy, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, he... he does whatever he does in order to, to make those things like an idol to us. You know, like I used to be all into my Jeep and, you know, and off-roading and 4 by 4 And I thought like, all right, just something I do on the weekends. And I serve the Lord and stuff, you know. But they came to, they, they came to a point in my, in my life where it, be, it started becoming my idol, man. And, and every paycheck I got, man, I was blowing it on parts for my Jeep. And, you know, every, and, and it's like I was looking at videos on my, on my free time of just off-roading stuff. And, and giving, giving that more attention than I was the Word of God. You know, it was something that was close to me. It was something that, that I enjoyed doing. And, and it's part my flesh, you know, and part the enemy where he just uses things to come against us, you know. So we, I, don't know, I don't think it's too far out there to say that, that maybe, you know, Eve had really, was really fond of this particular animal. And Satan just kind of just used that as a tool to come against her. So she wasn't surprised when he started talking. She had just answered him like nothing. He says, verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So, again, she wasn't surprised by the serpent talking to her. You know, and again, maybe they had this kind of communication. You know, we, we weren't there, so we don't really know exactly what life was like in the garden. You know, we don't know what life was like in a, before, before, before falling humanity. And so we see that, again, she wasn't startled by this, you know, but she says... He says, has God indeed said? And then she talks to him. Now, it seems like, from what we're reading, it seems like, like Eve might be adding a little bit more to what God has said. It seems like she might be adding a little more to God's word. Because she says, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, the command to Adam, there, there in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So we see there in chapter 2, verse 16, that, that, that God said nothing about touching it. Now, now, whether maybe Adam, you know, told Eve this afterwards, or maybe Eve is just maybe on the spot, kind of just saying this. Oh, we don't know, but it seems like she's adding a little more to God's word. You know, and that's always a danger when we add to God's word, whether it's we had to try to defend it, or we had to try to make up for it, or we had to try to explain it. You know, now it, it's, it's always a danger when we begin to add to God's word. So we see that, that, that Satan came up against Eve. You know, he attacked, he's attacking God's word. And now as she's quoting God's word back to him, she's misquoting it. Boom. 
he sees a he sees an open door and he's gonna run right through it. Then verses four through seven says, "And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So we see that Satan's response was, you will not surely die. You won't die. And we see that Satan always deceives us with a lie that has some truth to it. Now, he doesn't give us a full-on lie because we're going to be able to spot it from miles away. But he gives you a lie that has some truth to it. So it's not a full truth. You know, it's a half-truth. And a half-truth is a lie. There's no such thing as a half-truth. It's a lie. If, if it's not the full truth, it's a lie. If it's a truth and a little bit, and a little bit of, of, you know, of, of a lie, it's a lie. It's either, the, it's either true or it's not. So we see that, that, that Satan deceived Eve by giving her you know, just a little bit of truth. With a lie. Or a lie with some truth to it. So there was some truth to this because he said, You will not surely die. Now, physically, they did not die right away, though their bodies would not begin to decay, you know, but it's not something that she was able to see right away. So maybe as she, as she took that first bite of the, of the fruit, she saw, Oh, I didn't die. You know, but she didn't know that the lasting effects of it. She didn't know that, that, that her body at that point began to decay. And actually, maybe as she took that bite of the fruit, she realized, Oh, he's not lying. I didn't die. Maybe God's the liar. You know, maybe God lied to me because he said that as soon as I eat it, I would die and I'm not dead. You know, but again, she, she didn't see the lasting effect. She didn't understand that at that, at that moment she, that she took a bite of the fruit, that her body began to decay and that she was going to die. So we see that, that Satan feeds her a lie with some truth to it. So physically, they didn't die right away. But spiritually, the very moment that they sinned and they, dis- and they disobeyed God, they died spiritually. At that, at that moment that, that, that they hated the voice of the serpent, at that moment that, that they decided to obey the serpent instead of obey God, they began to die spiritually. They died, they were spiritually dead. They're in the book of Isaiah. There's a, I can't quote chapter and verse to you, but, but it says, you know, it's God speaking and he tells the, the, the children of Israel, you know, what's through the prophet Isaiah, he says, God's ear is not, is not, it's not too heavy that he can't hear. His arm isn't too short that he can't reach out and save you. He says, but your sins have separated you from God. So we see that, that, that all sin, that, that, that all sin separates us from God that, and, and that all sin, you know, leads us to death. So we see that, Adam, that Eve, at the very moment that, that she disobeyed God, you know, she died spiritually. But she was deceived by Satan. He says, you will not surely die. You know, now that, that was a lie with some truth to it. Then in Romans 6, 23, it says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life to Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. That's something that Eve didn't know. All she knew was that we're supposed to, or that we're to obey God, to not eat of that fruit, and that's it, or else we'll die. You know, she, she was looking at it from a, from a physical standpoint, you know, but she didn't understand the spiritual implications of this. Satan did. Satan knew that, that the moment that they disobeyed God, that they rebelled against God, that they were going to be separated from God. How do you know this? Because he was separated from God. You know, he said in his heart there in the book of Isaiah, says, says that Satan said in his heart, I will make myself like the most high. I will exalt my throne above, above God's. I will be worshipped like God. I will sit on his throne. It's like the, there's five I wills of Satan. You know, and he was cast out of heaven. You know, he was separated from the presence of God. 
So he knew the spiritual implications of rebelling against God's word. They didn't. So he came again against them again with this truth, with this lie that had some truth to it. And it says that Eve took of its fruit and ate. So she bought the lie. She fell victim to Satan's tactics. And what was Satan's tactics? There in verse 6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it, of its fruit, and ate. This, so this is Satan's tactic. The lust of the flesh, that it was good for food. The lust of the eyes, that it was pleasant to look at. And the pride of life, that it's, that it's desirable to make one wise. And Satan still uses these same tactics today. Again, if they're effective, he's not going to change them. You know, and they've been effective since the beginning of time. You know, they've, they've been effective since the beginning of, of, of the fall of man. So he's not going to change them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, John, John writes about this. And as he's writing to the church, he tells them, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Says, for if anyone loves, a, so it says, for if anyone loves, sorry, it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. It says, for if anyone does, says, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Then he goes on to say, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Mm-hmm. So we see John talking about this some six thousand years. Later, you know, describing Satan's tactics. And we see that this is the same tactic that, that, that Satan used to come against Jesus. As Jesus was there fasting for 40 days there, there in the wilderness. He comes, he comes up against Jesus and he, and, he, and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, bam. Right away starts attacking God's word. If you're the son of God, then throw yourself off the cliff. You know, and the Bible says that, that he'll send angels after you. Boom. Attacking God's word. He says, hey, if you're the son of God, just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world and the pride of life. Hey, if you're the son of God, then, 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 then make, these, make these rocks turn into bread and the lust of the flesh, you know, the, the gratifying of the flesh. So we see that, that, that this is an attack that, that Satan used to come against Eve is the same attack that he used to come against the Lord Jesus Christ there while he was in the wilderness, and it's the same attack that he uses to come against you and me. Now, in a sense, I think it's, I think it's to our advantage, you know, that we know Satan's tactics because it's like, man, it's like a football game. You know, if, if you're the opposing coach and you have the other, the other coach's uh, playbook, you have you have the upper hand, you know, because you might not know which play they're gonna they're gonna use next, but you have the whole playbook. You could, you know, it could either be this or it could be that or it's that. So as you see the as you see the players, you know, kind of line up, you're like, oh, we're able to identify it, and that's us. You know, we have Satan's playbook. We know that he's going to use the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Mm-hmm. If something comes into your, to your life and, and you, recognize that, you recognize it as a lust of the flesh, boom, that's Satan. That's not the Lord. If something comes into your life, something's present into your life, and, and you recognize it as, as a pride of life, boom, that's not of God. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's of the enemy. So that's like, we have the upper hand in that sense because we know Satan's tactics. You know, and we know what he, he's going to use to come up, up against us. The lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and he's going to attack God's word in our lives. That's what he did to Eve. That's what he did to the Lord, Jesus, and that's what he uses against us today. So it says, there again in verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So it says that she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Interesting that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, in writing to, to, to Timothy and, and to the church there, where he was at, uh, you know, he begins to pretty much lay out these, these, these guidelines for the church. And one thing that he says is that he says, I do not permit women to, to, to exercise authority over men in the church. And then he goes on to say, there in verse 14, he says, because Adam was not deceived, you know, he says, but the woman was deceived and fell into transgression. Mm-hmm. Now, what this tells us is it says that, that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Now, sometimes we, we tend to read this and we say, yeah, see, the woman was deceived, not man. And, and I mean, that's how I read it. That's how, how I used to read it. You see, it was a woman that was deceived. It wasn't a man. It was a woman. She was deceived. But what that tells us is that, is that Eve was deceived, but Adam knowingly rebelled against God. She was a victim. He gave in to the temptation willingly, knowingly. The woman was deceived, but Adam, knowing that it was wrong, knowing that it, that it, was, that it was going against God's will, knowing that it was rebelling against God, he gave in to it. So he gave in to it knowing that we, we, we knowing the implications of what was gonna happen. You know, as soon as that, as soon as he took of that fruit. The woman was deceived. You know, she was a victim. But Adam, he did it knowingly. So it says that she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So Eve was deceived, but Adam knew that it was wrong and he sinned against God. So he chose to sin against God. Mm-hmm. Romans 5:12 says. Paul, writing there to, to the church at Rome, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. So we see that, that, that the Lord, even though Eve was the one who, who, who took the fruit first, you know, we see that even the Lord acknowledges that it wasn't the, the sin of Eve. We never hear all oh, the sin of Eve, the sin of Eve. It was the sin of Adam. Why? Because Adam is the one who chose to sin against God. Eve was deceived. Even, even, the, even the Bible attributes you know, the, the sin you know, to man, to Adam. Not to Eve, but to man. Why? Because, again, God has spoken to man. He was supposed to be there with the woman, with Eve. He was supposed to be protecting. He was supposed to make sure that, that this didn't happen. This happened, she was deceived, and he just gave in to it. Again, therefore, in Romans, therefore, just as through one man. Notice it didn't say through one woman, even though she's the one we took first. Therefore, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. So the death entered, entered through the sin of Adam, not through the sin of Eve, because Eve transgressed. There's a difference between a transgression and a sin. A transgression is pretty much aiming for the mark and, and, and missing it. Just, you're missing it. You're, you're trying to do good. You know, you, it, it was unintentional. But a sin is, 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 knowing, is knowing where the mark is and intentionally missing it. So Adam sinned, but Eve transgressed. And it says that their eyes were open and they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. Notice that as soon as they, as soon as they, they sinned, their eyes were opened. They realized that they were naked. It says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. We're always going to try to cover up our own sin. Always. I mean, it's, it's rare, you know, when somebody sins and immediately they go up to God and like, ah, oh, Lord, forgive me. 
We see that even the, the first people who ever sinned on this world, you know, as soon as they sinned, what do they do? They want to go try to cover themselves up in their own strength, you know, in their own abilities, in their own resources. Hardly do people ever come to God, you know, to cover, their, to cover them for their sins. I mean, we, we're living around a dying world, you know, who's just sinning, man, like crazy. And what do they do to cover their sins? They start renaming it. Oh, it's no, it's no, longer, it's no longer a sin. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a moment of disobedience or it's, uh, they start putting different names to sin in order to cover their sin. So we see that man is always trying to cover his own sin, you know, with his own abilities, with his own, with his own resources and his own strength and his own ways instead of coming to God. Adam and Eve sinned against God. Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. And they went, and what did they do? They went, they got to grab these leaves and they, and they started covering themselves. So we're always going to try to cover our own sin. Always. Now, going back to, to, to the, the, the sin of, of Adam and Eve, you know, and, and Eve taking of the fruit. I always ask myself, man, was Eve to blame? I mean, I know we mess around a lot, even as guys, you know, I've, I've done it before. And I mess around, I'm like, oh, see, it was the woman who took of the fruit. Ah, because of the woman, now we're in this place. Now, now we've got to live in this fallen world. Oh, because of the woman. You know, we, we mess around a lot like that as guys sometimes. You know, and even just in the church, you know, we, we, we hear a lot about this. You know, oh, we attribute the blame all to the woman. But I want you guys to consider this. Eve was innocent. She was, she was like the very, the very definition of innocent. She was innocent. She was pure. I mean, all she ever knew in the garden was, was Adam and God. That's all she ever knew. She was, she was blind to, to any type of evil, to any type of wickedness. She, she didn't even know what that was. She was just completely, completely pure, completely innocent. Her mind was, was, without, was without sin. It was, she was completely pure. And now she comes face to, God, face to face with the very embodiment of evil, with the very embodiment of wickedness, mm-hmm. with Satan who had rebelled against God, caused a rebellion up in heaven, and, and deceived one-third of the angels. Man, she didn't stand a chance. Mm-hmm. She was a victim. You know, and... and, and and sometimes, I mean, I, I, I read about Eve right here and how she just faced, you know, the very embodiment of evil right before her. You know, how she was deceived by it. And, and I liken it to, to, a, to a child who, who has his innocence, you know, taken from them. A child who, has, who, who comes into this world that knows nothing but mommy and daddy and, and you know, and candy and, you know, and <laughs> nice things. And, and they're just, they're just oblivious, oblivious to the evil around in this world. And all of a sudden, they have their innocence ripped out from right in front of them. That was Eve. She was created innocent. You know, all she knew was her husband and God. That's all she knew. And all of a sudden, she's face to face with Satan himself. She didn't stand a chance. She was a victim. She was, she was a victim. And it goes on to say there in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And as, this, is, this is the effect of sin in our lives, guys. You know, it's like, man, as soon as we sin, you know, even, even if we're not trying to, even right now as Christians, I'm talking to Christians. You know, as Christians, you know, we're washed, we're sanctified, we're forgiven. The Lord has clothed us with his righteousness. But we do still fall into sin. Why? Because we live in a fallen world and because we, we live in these sinful bodies. You know, we're st- we still battle with temptation. We don't, we don't win every single battle. That's just the truth of it. I don't win every single battle. 
Not just because I'm, I'm the guy who's up here teaching the Bible and, you know, with the one with the title of pastor doesn't mean that I'm the holy righteous guy of the room. You know, every single one of us are still living in a, in a fallen in a fallen state, still living in a, in a, in a, in a body that's, that, that was birthed in sin and evil. You know, and we live in a sinful world around us and every single one of us are still faced with sin and temptation every single day, all the time, various times throughout the day. You know, and, and we don't always win those battles, I'll be honest. I don't always win those battles. Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, man, Lord, I really blew it. But we see that, that, that the effects of sin oftentimes is, is to get us to hide from God. We see that Adam and Eve, they, again, they, they, they sin, they realize they were naked, their eyes were open, they, they try to cover their own sin, and then when they hear God coming, they hide and run. Mm-hmm. And we talk to a lot of people, you know, who, who want to come to church, they want to know God, but what's the excuse always? Let me first clean myself up. Oh, I got a lot of things to work out first, and then I'll go to God. It's like, and they think that, that, that they're able to hide from God in the meantime while they're in their sin and then come to God, not knowing that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He's right there as they're committing that sin. He's as much present with them as they're committing that sin as he would be, as he is while we're here in the sanctuary, worshiping him. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that. But there's the effect of, of sin in, in, in all of our lives. Is that it always causes us to, one, to try to cover our own sin and to, two, to run away and hide from God. Again, it says that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And I always wondered, man, I wonder what, what that was like. They're in the garden, and I don't know if it was, if it was God actually just walking in there. I don't know if it was God's Spirit hovering through everything. But it says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I thought that's amazing, man. Like, man, to, to know that, that, hey, God's walking, right? He's, he's in this place, he's walking. And to think that they're, 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 they're before the very presence of God walking in the garden. What do they do? Man, they run away and they hide. God, oh, man, we can't be around God. They knew, man, God is too holy. He's too pure. He's too perfect. We can't be around that. We're sinful. That's the effect of sin in our lives. No, now, it's, it's, it's our duty as Christians to, 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 to let our dying world know as we, as we learned last, last Sunday. You know, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he ripped that veil. You know, now that separation between sinful man and holy God is torn down. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, now we're able to walk into the holy of holies, the very presence of God, you know, without, man, without blame, just righteous. And God sees us like as if we've never sinned. You know, God sees us now with the righteousness of Christ. That relationship is again now restored like how it was between God and Adam before the fall. But what do we do oftentimes? Man, we run away from God when we sin. Oh, I gotta hide. Oh, I'm not gonna go to church today because, man, God knows what I've been doing. And there's no way I could face my brothers and sisters. They're gonna see the guilt, the look of guilt in my face. They're gonna ask me. They're, they know. Sometimes we sin, and man, I, 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 sometimes we sin and, we, and we, we hide our Bibles even. You think, oh, well, I can't be around the Bible right now because, you know, I, I sinned or oh, I fell or this or whatever. That's just, man, that, that's just the effect of sin in our lives. It just causes us to, to run and hide from God. And then verse 9, says that the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, where are you? I like what Pastor Chuck said about this. He says that oftentimes we read this and, and we read, you know, the vo- and the, we read the Lord saying, where are you? And we read it like as, as if it was the voice of an arresting officer. All right, where are you? Where are you hiding? What have you done? And he says, not so. You know, but it's, it's the voice of a loving father calling out to his child. Where are you? What happened? 
Verse 10 says, So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Fearful and hiding. Right? I mean, people don't want to come and approach God. They don't want to come to church. They, want, they don't want to know God. They, they say it's because, oh, I'm, I'm too sinful. I'm this and that. But in reality, it's this. They're fearful. They're fearful of, of coming to a, a holy God, coming before a holy God in their sinful state. So we see Adam says that he, he said that he was afraid because he was naked, so he hid himself. That's the world today. Afraid of God because of their sinfulness, afraid to approach a holy God, so they hide. They try to hide. They think they're hiding. Then verse 11 says, And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of, the, of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, it's not that God didn't know. I mean, obviously God knew what had happened. And there's only two people on earth. And the two people on earth are hiding. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, they're, 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 they're trying to clothe themselves with big leaves and stuff. It's God knew. Besides that, He's omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. He knows all things. But it's like, it's like he was giving God, he was giving Adam a, a chance to repent, a chance to confess his sin. Lord, we blew it. This, this, the serpent came, you know, we believed him, we rebelled against him, we sinned, and we ate of the fruit. I'm sorry. So it's like, it, it's like if God was giving them a chance to confess their sins. You know, and in this we see the grace of God. You know, that, that, that as Adam and Eve had sinned, God comes in, he's giving them an opportunity to confess their sin. That's God. That's who He is. You know, He's gracious. He's loving. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. He's forgiving. And then verse 12 says, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the tree and I ate. It wasn't lying. And then verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? So that we see this kind of just, boop, He's going down the ladder. I get into the bottom of this. The man said, hey, she did it. The, the woman that you gave me. So she made me, she gave me the tree and I ate. You know, but he, he neglected to tell God that, that she was deceived and that, and that he willingly took of the fruit. So he's pretty much just passing the buck. It was her fault. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So notice now, God is getting to the bottom of this. You know, he confronts Adam because he's the one responsible. You know, man, and us as men, we're, we're the ones that are responsible over our homes. I mean, for us that are married, you know, if something happens to our wife, you know, and our wife can go astray or whatever happens, God's going to come to us for account. Hey, God has this established this, this order. You know, it's, it's Christ above man. It's just, just like, like the Father is above Christ. You know, and Christ submits to the Father. So us as men, we submit to Christ. The woman submits to, to the husband. And so on and so forth. I mean, there's, there's, this, there's this order that God has established. Not because, you know, we're better than women. But because that's just God's divine order. You know, that we're called to protect our wives. We're called to pour into our, our wives. We're called to wash our wives. You know, and we're held responsible for, for, for the state of our wives. 
I mean, if, if, if us as husbands, we, we did everything we could, you know, to wash our wives in the water of the word, of the word and, and, you know, just, she decided to go astray, and that's between her and the Lord. But if it's because the husband at any point neglected, you know, neglected his, his duty as a husband to pour into his wife, to wash his wife with the water of the word, then God's going to hold us accountable. He is. Eve sinned. You know, well, Eve was deceived. But notice that God came to Adam first. What happened? You're responsible. What happened? Mm-hmm. So he says, hey, it's the woman you gave me. And she said, hey, the serpent deceived me. So again, in verse 14, now the Lord speaks to the serpent, speaking to Satan himself. And God tells him, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and, on the, and you shall eat the dust all your days of your life. And I will put enmity be- between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. So he's speaking to Satan directly. And in, in, in this we, we see, we see a, a prophecy. We, we see the, 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 first, the first prophecy given. You know, God is telling Satan that he's going to put enmity. He's going to put friction. He's going to put you know, this clashing between his seed and the seed of the woman. Now, who, who is Satan's seed? I'm reminded of, a, of an instance there in the New Testament where, where, where the religious Pharisees are coming up to Jesus, you know, and, and, and they, they start telling him that, hey, that you, you have no father, and they start pretty much just, uh, just insulting him. And Jesus says, you put of vipers. He says, you, he says, you guys are liars because you're sons of the devil. And the devil's been a liar since the beginning. He calls them out, he says, you guys are sons of the devil. The devil's seed. Who's the devil's seed? The devil's seed is, is all those who, who, have, who have put in, in their heart to come against God and the things of God. We see that these, again, these religious Pharisees of, of, of Jesus' time were coming up against the very Son of God. You know, they, they, were, they, were, they were creating this enmity between themselves and God. Man, the seed, is, the seed of Satan. And we see the seed, the seed of Satan like all, all around us today. You know, and this worldly system that, that has created, you know, laws and, and, and ordinances to, to come against the people of God. You know, and we see a lot of people that are in power right now in, in the government that are, that are being used by Satan. You know, whether they know it or not. I mean, I, I believe that a lot of them are, are, are willingly submitting to, to, to Satan's, you know, authority. And just using their, their place of power to, to pass these crazy laws and, and to pass these crazy ordinances and to pass these crazy, you know, things in government. But... That's the seed of Satan right there. You know, those who have come up against God's people, those who have come up against God himself by attacking his people, by attacking the church. Mm-hmm. And so God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now notice that he tells the woman, this is between, you know, his seed and your seed. And we, we know that, that, that this is a, a prophetic of Christ. You know, and this talking about this talking about the, the Messiah that was to be born of woman. And he says, He shall bruise your head, talking about the woman's seed, and you shall bruise his heel. It is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. How Satan was yet gonna come up against Christ and, 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 and he was gonna have him crucified and he's gonna think there at the crucifixion, he, he, at that moment, I, I definitely believe that, that, that Satan didn't have you know a full insight into God's plan. You know, because Satan is not sovereign like God is. Again, he's, been, he's a created being. being you know, he, he, he didn't have insight into God's full plan. So I, I believe that at that moment that Jesus was being crucified, Satan was probably celebrating. 
sitting in all these demonic forces of Christ, celebrating, yeah, that's it, you know, the beginning of our reign, of our rule, whatever. But little did they, did they know that, that they were just bruising his heel, but that Jesus was going to crush his head. And we'll see that this crushing of, the, of Satan's head is ultimately going to be fulfilled in the last days. In the book of Revelation, where, 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 where that great dragon, uh, Revelation calls Satan, that, that great dragon of old, the serpent of old, is going to be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus crushing the head of Satan. Mm-hmm. So we see that God had this planned all along. I mean, he, he, he knew God has foreknowledge. He has all knowledge. He doesn't have foreknowledge because not only does he know what's going to happen before, but he knows what's going to happen you know, at all times. God has all knowledge. God is sovereign. You know, we see that, 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 that this was the plan of God be, be, before the, the foundations of the earth. You know, God already had a plan. He knew what was going to happen. You know, and, and He had a plan from the very beginning. I mean, we're in chapter 3 and God's already given, given us a promise. And given Adam and Eve the promise. Hey, you guys sinned. Sin came into the world. It's going to be painful from now on. But it's not going to last forever. And He tells Satan straight up from the very beginning. And then as we go through the whole Bible, we see just Satan kind of attacking the lid. Especially as we go through the, through the book of Genesis, we're going to see Satan just trying to track this seed and trying to just, just attack, trying to trace his lineage and trying to, he's going to try to, try to extinguish this seed. And that's throughout the whole Bible, Satan is just trying to, to eliminate this seed of God, you know, and trying and try to just go against what God had already said. He said, he shall bruise your head and you, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Then 16 says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. So we see that another one of these effects of sin coming into the world. One, it caused them to be afraid you know, to approach God. Another, it caused them to hide from God. Now there was this curse upon Satan, but there was also this promise of the, of the deliverer and now we see that even, even uh, pain at childbirth is a result of the fall, is a result of, of sin entering into, in, into us, into humans. So we see that God's original design for, for, for women, you know, as, as they were to bear children, is that it wasn't supposed to be a painful thing. You know, but now because sin entered into the world, now, it, now pain, also, pain and sorrow also entered into this world. You know, now, now it hurts, and now it's a painful thing. I mean, <laughs> I speak on behalf of women. You know, I, obviously I don't know what that means, you know, but what that feels like, but, you know, it's painful. But we see that, 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 pain, that, that pain itself, you know, is a result of sin coming to this world. I mean, I was thinking about, man, just actually a couple of days ago, you know, as I was kind of just, you know, every once in a while I think about my brother and I miss him a lot, you know, and, and it hurts, man. It hurts. And all of a sudden, if you've, if you've had a loved one pass away, it hurts so much. And I started tripping. I'm like, man, you know. It hurts so much because we were never meant to experience this pain. You know, when God created us, he, death had no existence. You know, he, create, he created us to live forever with them. You know, we weren't supposed to experience the, the, the pain of the loss of a loved one. Just like a woman, well, a woman wasn't supposed to experience, you know, the pain at childbirth. All these things that we weren't supposed to experience. That's why, that's why they don't feel good now that we experience them in this, in this fallen, sinful state. When someone passes away, ah, oh, it hurts so much. Why? Because we're never meant to experience that pain of death. We're never meant to experience that, 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 that pain that, and that sorrow of losing a loved one, of being separated from somebody that you love, someone close to you. Women were never supposed to, to experience that, that pain of childbirth. It was supposed to be a, a, a blessed thing. 
So he tells a woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. He says, in pain you shall bring forth children. Now it wasn't just at birth, you know, because in the next chapter, chapter 4, we see that, that the very, you know, the, the very first kids, Cain and Abel, and we see that, that, that Cain, man, was a murderer. He, he killed his brother, and obviously he hurt his mother. I mean, we, we focus on Cain and Abel and what, and what Cain did to Abel, but we never think about, the, about Adam and Eve. Like, man, no, no, no doubt as Eve was seeing this, you know, she was experiencing pain. I've seen her kids, man, one kill, one kill the other one. You know, so the Lord says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. It's a painful thing. You know, not just at birth, but as you watch your child grow up and make the wrong decisions and maybe go a different route that you didn't want them to go, it's a painful thing now to, 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 to see that a child has free will and that they could choose to rebel against God and go contrary to the very things of God if they wanted to. You, you can't force them. It's a painful thing. I mean, I, I think about all the pain that I caused my mother as a, as, as a kid and even as a young adult and a teenager. Just, man, out there running amok and, and you know, my mom's just, you know, nights without sleeping and worrying about where I'm at, if I'm okay, if I'm alive, if, you know, whatever, if something happened to me. It's like, man, that pain, that pain that, 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 pain that uh, a child brain, you know? And so we see that, that Eve was not going to experience that as she, as she had her first child, Cain. And then she was going to continue to experience it as she witnesses Cain kill his own brother. And then he says to the woman, And your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So we see that this, that this strange thing happened now again at the fall where, where, where typically, you know, I guess um, women have kind of a, a, a tendency to want to rule over the man, which is not God's original design. But because of the fall, now, this, now God's original design is skewed. Now there's always going to be this, this conflict you know, between, between men and women, between a husband and a wife. But we see that that, that that wasn't God's original plan. But it was both because Adam failed to protect his wife, you know, and, I, and because Eve, you know, given to the temptation. And then to Adam, verse 17, he says, To Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So notice, even God acknowledges it. He said to Adam, because you have heeded, because you have obeyed, because you have decided to choose you know, the voice of your wife instead of obeying God. Again, it was Adam's choice. Eve was deceived, but, but Adam chose to sin against God. It says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of the, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. And told you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. We talked about this on Sunday. If you guys remember when, when the Roman soldiers were, were, were beating up Jesus. And they were mocking him. And, and um, before Pilate presented him to the crowd. This is that the Roman soldiers made a crown of thorns. And put it on Jesus. And we talked about how it was a symbol of Jesus just taking the curse of the earth upon himself. You see again that, 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 that these thorns, thorns on a, on a rose, thorn, thorns on a bush, you know, it's not God's original design. But, but the, the thorns are, are, are a product, you know, of a sinful world. It says, Cursed is the ground for your sake and told you should eat of it all the days of your life. 
both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. So this is a result of the sin on the earth. A result of, of, of Adam and Eve's sin. Now the thorns on a bush, the thorns on a rose. And our Lord as he was being crucified, being crucified with a, with a crown of thorns on his head, bearing the, the curse of all humanity upon himself. I think that's amazing. Verse 19, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now in here we see, we see sort of a gospel message. right? Because God, a few verses earlier, had, had spoken to the woman and, and he promised her you know, a seed. He promised her a seed that was going to crush the head of the serpent. And now we see here Adam calling his wife's name Eve. And Eve pretty much it means mother. It means mother of all living. So it says that Adam calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Even though they were dying, even though now spiritual death had entered into the world, even though now they were physically dying, he called her the mother of all living. Notice he didn't call, call her the mother of all dying. But he called her the mother of all living because he was holding on to God's promises. He was holding on to, to, to God's promise of, of, of a seed that was going to crush the head of the serpent and one day end this curse. So he calls her Eve for she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And I just think this is, it's interesting here in verse 21, it says that, that for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So a few verses back, you know, as Adam and Eve sinned, what they did was that they remembered that they took these leaves and they clothed themselves in their own efforts, in, in, their, in their own resources. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. Even though they were already clothed, you know, God had to clothe them with his own clothing, with his own covering. And it says that, that God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, what kind of skin was this? Obviously, it had to be animal skin. It doesn't say here, but my guess is that it was a lamb. It goes, I mean, it lines up with, with the rest of Scripture. It says that God made, made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now think about this. Up until this point, yeah, they had died. You know, they were beginning to die physically. They were beginning to, to decay. They had died spiritually, but they, they hadn't physically seen death. And to think that because of their, their sin, because of their disobedience, now, now they're watching as, as God kills this innocent animal in order to, cut, to cover their sin. For them, I think it would have been traumatizing to see, imagine just seeing the first death. I mean, man, it's crazy enough when you see someone die. Now imagine seeing death for the very first time and knowing that it's an innocent animal that's dying, that God is just, man, he's, 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 he's skinning this innocent animal. Obviously, he had to kill it first. And to think that, that, that this animal, innocent animal had to die to cover me for my sin. It would have been traumatizing to Adam and Eve. It would have been traumatizing to them because, again, they spent all this time with the animals. You know, I mean, Adam named the animals. You know, they, he, he was with them. And again, death had not entered the world. You know, they hadn't seen it yet. Now, the first, the first instance of death is this innocent animal dying to make clothes for them. That's heavy. That's heavy because it takes us back now to the Lamb of God, you know, which takes away the sins of the world. Where we see this innocent sinless, you know, spotless, without blemish, Lamb of God, Jesus, 
who had to die, who had his, you know, had to shed blood, his body had to be broken, his, 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 his blood had to be poured out in order to cover us, not only cover us, but to forgive us of all sin, to rid us of all sin, to make us righteous before God's eyes, to clothe us in his righteousness. So we see Jesus Christ here in, 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 this very, in this very act of God, clothing Adam and Eve with the tunics of skin. We see the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the, 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 the promise of the Lord. We see a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. And all throughout the rest of the Bible, we're going to see all these foreshadowings of Christ and the ministry of Christ. So again, Adam and Eve, they covered themselves with their own righteousness. You know, their little leaves. That's the best that they come up with. Hey, now we're naked. Let's sew leaves together. That's the best that they come up with. And that's what the Bible says. And Isaiah says that man's righteousness is like filthy rags unto God. It's unacceptable. They were already clothed. They were, they were already covered, you know, with their own strength, with their own abilities, with their own resources. And God said, hey, that's not good enough. I have to clothe you with, with my clothing. And that was the death of an animal, you know, and the, and the covering of its skin. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so also for Adam and Eve and, and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. We see that God is covering now their sin and their shame. And then verse 22 then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the, tree, to guard the way of the tree of life. Again, so now we see there in verse 22 that the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Trinity. It's the Trinity there having a conversation. Hey, man has become like one of us. So we see the Trinity here again for the second time here, here in, uh, in Genesis. The first instance was when, was, when, was when God was making man. He said, hey, let us make man in our image. So we see this conversation between the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. As we know that, that, that the Bible teaches that, that there is one God, one being which we call God, and that, and that one God exists three persons, all equal, all equal, and all sharing the same glory. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. Different positions, but equally God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now we see that the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put it out of his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So, so the, God, the Lord God sent him out of the garden. And it says that he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden with a flaming sword. So we, we see here, man, the grace of God, even after Adam and Eve sinned, even after they rebelled against God, even, even after they, Adam willfully chose to disobey God. What does God do? He doesn't, man, he doesn't cast him out and start all over, which he could have done if he wanted to. He could have just, man, poof, just made him disappear, you know, just cast him out, you know, forget about these guys, let's start all over. He didn't do that. What does he do instead? He shows them grace. He, he makes a covering for them. He covers their sin and their shame. And now he says that, that, that he cut access off to this tree of life. He says, lest he take also of the tree of life and eat forever. So in this, we see also the grace of God because now that sin had entered into the world, now their bodies began to decay and they were going to be always separated from God. So they, they, they needed to die. They needed to die, one, because they were going to suffer 
being a thousand years old and, you know, their bones hurting now because of sin, you know, uh, pain coming through childbearing, pain coming through death. You know, imagine, imagine human beings just living forever and just experiencing all the death, you know, that, that, and, and all the pain that, that they could experience. So what does God do? He says that He cuts off access to the tree of life because you know, it says, lest He take up the tree of life and, and live forever. Live forever in this decaying state. I mean, who's that guy that just died? The Prince of England or the uh, Queen Elizabeth's husband? I mean, man, that guy looked like death already. You know, I was like, man, you see pictures of him. He was like 90-something years old, right? And this guy looked like death already, you know, probably hurting, arthritis, you know, all kinds of, you know, pains and sickness that come with just our bodies getting old. Now, imagine being that old and being that much in pain and yet not being able to die. That's God's grace right there, you know, is that He, he didn't allow him to go over there and, and, and eat the eat of the, 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 the of the tree of life. And then now imagine again living in this sinful, fallen state, separated from God, spiritually dead, and, and never never being able to die, you know, and come into that into that fellowship with God again. We see the grace of God, you know, that He allowed him to die because that was the only way for them to be, you know, restored. So we see that, that the, we see the grace of God here, even in Adam and Eve's sin. You know, is that, is that God? And, and that's and that's so the Lord. You know, the Lord, when we sin, you know, he, and we hide from Him, and we're afraid to come into His presence, and we try to, you know, do what we can in our own strength to cover our own sin. That's so of God to just and to just draw us in, you know, and invite us to experience His His clothing, His covering, His grace, His forgiveness, His mercy, His long suffering, His love, His love for us. Ask God. When we see, man, the, 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 the God of the Bible is a God of love, is a God of grace, is a, is a, God, of, is a God of mercy, a God of justice, you know, but a God of love. I hear people say, oh, yeah, the God of the Old Testament is a vengeful, wrathful, judgmental God, and, you know, and the God of the New Testament is a loving God. He's, oh, you, you read God's judgment in the Old Testament and, and, and God's grace in the New Testament. I think not so. You know, as we read the pages, the pages of Scripture, all throughout the Testament, all they see is God's grace from the very beginning. God's always been a gracious God. That's who He is. That's one of His attributes. He cannot deny Himself of that. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. And we see His love, His grace, His mercy, His justice, yes, but in balance with everything else. All throughout every single page of Scripture. So John chapter 3 again, we're given this, I mean, Genesis chapter 3, we're given this, this, this foreshadowing of the Christ or the Messiah. You know, we're giving this foreshadowing of, of, of what's to come, you know, of, of the end of curse on the earth and on humanity. We're so blessed because we're living on this side of the cross. You know, we're experiencing what, what, what Eve was promised. You know, yeah, we're still living in a sinful world, but as far as spiritually, we're made right with God. You know, we have fellowship with God and we're one another. We have fellowship with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we're experiencing now this, this, this covering you know, this covering that God made for them, we're experiencing it now in Christ. We're experiencing Christ as our covering. You know, now, now we're coming before the throne, the throne of, of God clothed in Christ's righteousness. They had to still come before God, you know, in those, in those skins, in those, in those tunics of skins, of animal skins. We come, to, we come to God clothed in Christ, you know, in His righteousness. We're going to read from chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. It's a short section. So chapter 4 says, sorry, I know I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for this. It says, chapter 4 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, 
And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So notice, it says that, that, that now Adam and Eve, so Adam knew Eve, and what that word knew means, you know, an intimate, an intimate knowledge of his wife. So they had intimate relationship, the relations. So Adam knew his, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then the Hebrew, what, what this means you know, it's in the definitive. I have acquired the man from the Lord. So when she had her, her first son, she believed that, that this was a seed that God had promised. So she named him Cain, which means, you know, here he is or behold the man. That's what Cain means. Here he is. Like, this is the guy. Here's the man. So they bore a son. They named him Cain, which means here he is. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord or I have acquired the man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So we see now that, that, that again, these, these sons are born to, to Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel. So Cain would have been the first son born to Adam and Eve. They would have had many more kids after that. But Cain was the very first one. And they, they, and they named him Cain because I have acquired the man from the Lord. So they were convinced that this is a man, that this is a seed that God had promised them that was going to crush the head of the serpent. It's like, all right, you know, they, they were convinced, all right, that, that, that's it. It's going to come to an end, to an end pretty, pretty soon. Little did they know it's going to take, man, another probably 6,000 years until Christ came. You know, and that fulfillment of that prophecy came. Because from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, about another 2,000 years. And from Jesus to now, it's like another 2,000 years. So, but, but they were convinced that, that, that this seed, that this, that this man, you know, this baby that, they were, that, that, that the Lord had given him, was the fulfillment of this prophecy. And I just think it's, it's so cool to think, I mean, we don't, we don't think about these things, you know, just, uh, again, the first pregnancy... <laughs> The first, the first uh, child labor, you know, the first baby, the first cries of a baby, you know, the first, uh, the first walks of a baby, like all these first. Again, Genesis is a book of a book of beginnings, a book of origins, and and I just, I just, I just think about Adam and Eve, you know, as she was pregnant, and how they're maybe they were tripping out, like man, what's what's going on here? Maybe the Lord had to explain to them. Maybe they had to kind of just figure out, figure it out as he went. Maybe they had to just, you know. Learn as he as as he, as he went along, you know, like oh, all of a sudden Eve started getting big in her stomach and she felt the kicks and and I, I just I just wonder you know what they would have been thinking. This is the first the first pregnant lady ever in history, you know the first baby ever born. Now I wonder if 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 when when Cain was born as a baby if, if they knew that he was going to grow up and become a man if God had to explain that to him or what you know I don't know I just trip out on, on that stuff. But it says that they named him Cain because they said, I have acquired the man from the Lord. And so we see that, that, that Cain and Abel brought these offerings to the Lord. So we don't know at what point this, 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 uh, this offering thing was established. But we do know that by this point, they, it was somehow already established that, 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 that they were to bring offerings to the Lord. So we don't know if, if the Lord at one point kind of sat them down and explained to them, all right, now you guys have to continue to bring offerings unto me. You know, we, the, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but we do see that there was this, this system of, of offering already established. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and we see that, that, that God had already a requirement for an offering, you know, as we see through the whole Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament, that, 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 that God doesn't accept just any old offering, just any old thing, you know, hey, whatever you find on the side of the road, you know, any roadkill, bring me roadkill, God doesn't accept roadkill. You know, the, the, the Bible gives us, you know, give us requirements, you know, that were given to the people of Israel as, you know, that, that were accepted as offerings unto the Lord. So at some point, God talked to them and, and let them know, all right, this is the requirement for an offering. Because we see that Cain and Abel brought their offerings. And it says that, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Of course God knew, you know, but he's trying to, he's trying to get Cain to confess it. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Now Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I, to to, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. Actually, he talks about this, and Hebrews eleven is is a, is a chapter of faith, and the Bible talks about this. There, Hebrews chapter eleven, verse four says, "By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks." So it's it's been well said that that the best commentary for the Old Testament is the New Testament, and the best commentary for the New Testament. Is the Old Testament. So here we see that, that, that Cain and Abel brought their offerings. That Cain's offering was rejected. But that Abel's offering was accepted to the Lord. And we say why? Well the author here in the Hebrews tells us that. It's because Abel offered his, his offering by faith. It says by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice in Cain. So we see that, 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 that through this offering that, that Abel brought. You know it was. He did it in faith. So he did it in worship. What is faith but this belief in God? You know, he, he, he did it believing, somehow believing that, that, that as, as he offered this, this offering to God, that God was going to accept it and that he was going to be accepted by God. Now, Cain's offering wasn't accepted because it wasn't done in faith. Maybe he did it as just kind of like, as a, all right, here you go type of thing. With no type of faith behind it, with not not with no significant significance to it, with no heart into it, with no just you know with no care into it. But it tells us Hebrews tells us that, that that Abel offered his offering in faith, believing in God, believing that, that God was able to do something with his offering, believing that this offering was gonna in return you know do something to, in him. And so God talks to Cain as Cain's all bummed out. He's like, oh man, you don't you didn't accept my offering. He says, why are you so angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why are you bummed out? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So we see that, that, that God is giving Cain an opportunity you know, to be accepted. He's not rejecting him. He didn't say, hey, even though your offering was unaccepted, you know, don't ever come back again. No, he's giving him an, an, an open door, an opportunity to come back and to offer what's, what's right. So we see again the grace of God being extended to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He says, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule, shall rule over it. 
So we see the destructive power of sin. The destructive power of sin that, hey, it, and, and that goes for all of us. You know, it, it's, it's just a, the, the, this, this law of sin that, that, that dwells in all of us. You know, that we're all given an opportunity to do well. To do well. So that if you don't, then there's going to be many more opportunities to do even worse. Because, hey, if you don't do well, then sin lies at the door. And what sin wants to do is that it wants to overtake us. It wants to separate us from God. It wants to drag us by the feet away from the presence of God. Back into hiding. Back into fearfulness. Back into, you know, trying to, trying to cover our own sin with our own righteousness. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, in Christ, it's beautiful that we've been given the power to rule over sin. We've been given the, the, the authority, the power, the, the, everything we need to conquer sin in our lives. He says, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, verse 8, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Man, the very first death. Besides the animal, the very first death of a human being. And it was from brother to brother. So then killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so we see the arrogance and, and Cain, as he's responding to the Lord, very just... Arrogantly, How should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? How should I know? Am I his babysitter? That's pretty much what he's saying. Where's your brother? How should I know? Am I his babysitter? Mm-hmm. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. I notice that he says, verse 14, I shall be hidden from your face. Really, that's the ultimate punishment. Being hidden from the face of God. Being hidden from the presence of God. That's what sin does to us. That's what Satan's desire, you know, in our lives to do. Satan's desire is to hide us from God, to keep us away from God, to keep us separated from God, to keep us from coming to God, to cause God's face to be hidden from us. So Cain says, I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So he's recognizing, hey, I did this to my brother. Someone else is going to do this to me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord said, A mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him shall kill him. Now, we don't know what this mark was. I don't know if it was a physical mark. It was maybe just you know, something about him. We don't know what, it, what, this, mark, what this mark was. You know, but, but we know that, 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 the Lord, that, the, that the purpose of this mark was to protect Cain. Again, we see the grace of God. Even in Cain, man, he's just well, the first guy to kill somebody. The murderer. The first murderer here, here, here on earth. He killed his own brother. You know, his parents thought that he was the man. Behold, the man. The, the, the one who's, who, who God promised us. The one who's, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And little did we know that he was going to give in to the, to the wiles of the devil and kill his own brother. So Adam and Eve were hopeful that, that, that Cain was going to be the, the, the deliverer. He ends up you know, failing them in that and, and, and instead of being a murderer. But then we see the grace of God 
you know, and, and not allowing Cain to be killed just in cold blood like he killed his brother. Man, God is so gracious, guys. God is so gracious. You know, He's always giving us an opportunity to repent. He's always giving us an opportunity to, to come back to Him, even in our, in, our, in our sins. You know, even after we've been washed and cleansed and made righteous and, you know, we slip and fall, God, God is always there with open arms, you know, with the door wide open. Hey, come to me. Just come to me. Let me wash you. You know, but our, our instinct is to just, our first response is to just hide from God, right? Ah, Lord. In a couple of days after maybe you've forgotten about my sin, then I'll come to you and ask for forgiveness. Maybe in a couple of days after you're not so mad at me, then I'll come to you. That's how we think, right? That's how I think sometimes. Oh, man, I just sinned. Oh, man, I'm not going to talk to God about it. I'm going to wait a few hours. I'm going to wait till nighttime. You know, I'm going to wait till a couple of days. Then I'll bring it up to the Lord. You know, maybe he won't be as mad then. But we see that God is always there ready to extend grace to us. Ready with open arms. So it's an encouragement to all of us, man. Wherever it may be that we're in our walks. Or even if we get to the opportunity to minister to somebody who's in this position. Of just feeling kind of condemned by God. Hey, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. But that the world through me might be saved. God's desire is for none to perish. You know, but his, his desire is to extend grace to all of us. Now, will everyone accept it? No. Most won't. Most will reject it knowing what it is. They'll openly reject it, openly refuse it, openly, you know, mock it. But to those who will, to whosoever wills, man, God is there with open arms. That's, that's us. That's us. That's everyone. So, Father God, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for, for man, just, your, your word is so rich, Lord, in teaching. Your word, your word is so rich in wisdom, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that we could just come to your word and, and with reverence just dissect it, Lord, and learn of you. Thank you, Father God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your long-suffering, for your love that you have towards us, Father. Thank you, Lord, because we're able to live this, this promise that was given to Eve, Lord, of, of your seed crushing the head of the serpent. And I pray, Father God, that you would always remind us of the victory that we have in you, Lord, of, of, the, of the open door that we have in you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would always constantly remind us of that, Father, that you've already given us victory over, over the devil and over our flesh and over our sinful nature, Lord. Help us to come to you, Lord, in faith. Help us to just offer our, our bodies now as living sacrifices as, as apostles there in Romans 12. No longer bringing, you know, works and, and our own righteousness and our abilities and our resources, but bringing our own bodies as a living sacrifice unto you, Lord, in faith, acceptable unto you, Father. Go before us the rest of this night, Lord. May you just bless us all tonight, Lord. Help us to get a, a good night's sleep, Father. May you just be with my brothers and my sisters here tonight, Lord, with all of us, Father. Help us to just drop closer to you, Lord. I pray that as we wake up tomorrow morning, Lord, that you would be the very first thing on our minds, Lord. That we would just be able to meditate on you and your presence, on who you are, on your word, on your promises, all the days of our lives. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.